Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. my perspective of basically the chosen relational model and the pattern that the father has has done to grow his kingdom through fathers and sons and it's it's my perspective what i've done is i'm giving you a condensed version of my thesis that i submitted earlier this year and and i've chosen a relational model and you'll see what what i mean basically if you know me you know that i love movies i always have Growing up in the early 90s, my imagination was captivated by tales of underdog heroes mastering their will and their abilities in the pursuit of victory against all the odds. That's, that describes nearly all 90s movies, action movies, right? And I loved immersing myself in the shoes of a Luke Skywalker, a Rocky Balboa, or a Daniel LaRusso. I loved role-playing these heroes and their heroic moments. I loved cutting the air with a stick acting if it was a lightsaber with the, the, the sound effect. And uh, I like bobbing and weaving and I like a professional boxer. And I, the iconic um, crane kick, I like arching my arms up for the finishing move to, to, win the, to win the battle and to become the hero. But what I realize is all these movies that I, of my youth that I hold dear to my heart, they all share a similar DNA. Obviously, outside of the action underdog plot, Star Wars, Rocky, The Karate Kid, they're all grounded on the strength of one type of relationship. The relationship between an unsuspecting apprentice and the unlikely master. Think about that. They all got to do with the unsuspecting apprentice and the unlikely master. Luke had the bearded Obi-Wan, Rocky had the gravelly voice Mickey, and Daniel's son, we all know, had the diminutive Mr. Miyagi. These sage-like mentors instructed their Padawan learners in the ways of the Force. They strengthened their Southpaw students' weak right jabs, and they trained them in the art of Goji Ryu. These masters educated their pupils, helping them acquire necessary knowledge and skill that they needed to accomplish the heroic feats that the movies detailed. But I want to draw your attention to something else. They did so much more than that. Obi-Wan... Mickey Goldmill and Mr. Miyagi adopted these young boys as their own. They journeyed with them through, throughout their stories, teaching them about life and the strength of character needed to survive and pre preserve them through it. In the end, these life lessons prove far more valuable than any skill or knowledge the apprentices could learn. Now, I'm mentioning to you fictional mentor-apprentice relationships, but I want to highlight they are in fact inspired and rooted in real life history. Star Wars drew a lot of the inspiration from a Japanese model called Uchi Deshi, which means direct translation is inside student. Let me give you the urban dictionary definition of Uchi Deshi. Often people define Deshi as a student, but that does not truly encompass the true meaning of Deshi. Deshi means a disciple, a reverent follower, 
an apprentice, the disciple of the sensei, which the master, and Ushi Deshi has a far stronger and more personal mentor-protege relationship with the sensei, as it is described a live-in apprentice who trains under a sensei on a full-time basis. So just like the direct translation, an inside student, Ushi Deshi means you live with the master in his house and you work under him and serve under him on a full-time basis. Now, the biblical discipleship model is akin to this Ushi Deshi way of instructing another, training and mentoring them as you live life together. And in Jesus' day, the master, the teacher, was called rabbi, and his apprentices or his disciples were called Talmidim. The rabbi and his Talmidim and their relationship will be my focus today. Jesus and his relationship with, with his disciples particularly will be my case study, and we will focus on them. If this is the way Jesus chose to instruct his followers, surely, surely, not only does it work, but just maybe it's the most effective method of education and succession. I, too, am personally invested in this model. It's not just something I, I study and learn about, but it's something I'm living. I'm the son of, of Andreas, as you can see, and he's, he's my natural dad, but he's also a modern rabbi because he's a minister of the gospel. I, I too, am a father of young children of, of six and five, and I'm in the ministry myself. So I find my, myself in a position between being a Talmud to my dad, continue learning from him, both in the natural and in, in the spiritual, but also being a rabbi to my own children, for example, where I'm desiring to raise them up in the way of the Lord and following the pattern of my own natural and spiritual upbringing. And obviously, this is, a, for me, an amazing blessing, and it's a deep blessing that I find myself both following, observing, and all the while learning and leading, demonstrating and teaching all at the same time. I feel through this unique perspective, I can, give, I can flesh out the beauty between a rabbi and his Talmidim. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you three aspects of the rabbi and the Talmidim. For each role, I'm going to describe their purpose. Then I will describe the commitment to each other. And finally, I will describe the relational intimacy that they share. We'll be going through one, the rabbi first, focusing on Jesus. And then we will discuss Talmidim or disciples. And we'll discuss, obviously, Jesus' disciples. So, let's begin. What is a rabbi's primary purpose? Let me read you something. There's a quote that says here, Along with instructing the crowds, a rabbi's greatest goal was to raise up disciples who would carry on his teaching. This was not merely an academic exercise, a matter of downloading volumes of data into someone else's head. As important as knowledge of scripture was, there was one thing more important, a rabbi's moral character. The mission of a rabbi was to become a living example of what it means to apply God's word to one's life. A disciple apprenticed himself to a rabbi because the rabbi had saturated his life with scripture and had become a true follower of God. The disciple sought to study the text, not only of scripture, but of the rabbi's life. For it was there that he would learn how to live out the Torah. Even more than acquiring his master's knowledge, he wanted to acquire his master's character, his internal grasp of God's law. Now, this is the aspect that I want to highlight 
and my introduction pointed to this truth. A master's purpose is to train and raise followers, patterning them after his own character and life. For me, this is what it means to be a true rabbi or a true leader. And this is why I believe Jesus exemplifies this role so well. Jesus taught the crowds of sermons and parables, but he also taught his disciples through relationship and intimacy. They got to know who he was, his true character. Jesus shared the pivotal years of his ministry with his Talmudim. If you think about that, of his pivotal years where he's actually walking out that, that purpose, he's sharing it and he's involving disciples with him. They walk with him and they work together with him on a daily basis in close proximity. They did life together. Jesus' physical presence and walk on this earth illustrates this purpose so well of a rabbi. Jesus is alive to the Father, bound himself to a group of men through which he lived the kingdom out in their presence and sometimes through their own actions. He invited them to partake in this kingdom life firsthand. Let me give you an analogy of learning to drive a car. If Jesus was the instructor, the disciples were the learner drivers. Jesus explained, first of all, what it looked like to drive or to lead a kingdom life. And he demonstrated how to drive the kingdom way. But in time, he also put them behind the wheel and let them take this kingdom life for a spin, knowing full well that they would grind the gears, stall, or even have a fender bender. And we know they had a few. Why? Why did Jesus go through such lengths to ensure that they had hands-on experience on leading this kingdom life, even while he was there? Because he knew he wasn't going to be around forever. Physically, of course. Most of Jesus' ministry life was spent raising a group of men and women who could be like him, live life with his nature and his character, who could drive the kingdom way. His purpose was to raise another generation of rabbis that could go on teaching, demonstrating, and living out the kingdom. You see, this is the, this is the way that Jesus saw how the world was going to change. Not in the mega, not in the macro, but if I show people who I really am on the one-on-one -on -one relationship in the small, intimate places, and they learn to become like me, then just maybe they can do the same for others. Let's talk about the rabbi's commitment. You see, I think a lot of us see commitment between a rabbi and a Talmudim. We would say, surely, the commitment was tipped in the rabbi's favor. Surely the disciples, you know, they, they would be involved in a, lot, a great deal of service, stooping low and serving their master rabbi, who was elevated high in receiving commitment and service. But you see, when I read the Gospels, I don't necessarily see it this way. Jesus demonstrated how to be a true rabbi. Granted, a deep level of commitment is required from a disciple's side. A level of service that is often described as life-altering and complete abandonment. But we will discuss that later. We'll discuss what commitment for the Talmudim and the disciples look like. But I think it's important before we talk about their level of commitment, we need to see how Jesus starts the level of commitment from his side. The meat and bones of this Rabbi-Talmudim relational model is demonstration. Jesus is committed to being a living representative of the kingdom life to his disciples. You see, Jesus lived transparently in front of his disciples in order to teach them how to live. They in turn were to live transparently before others, 
humbly teaching them the way of Christ. This approach involves not just information, but transformation. God's goal isn't simply to fill the world with people who believe the right things. And I think that's where the world is struggling right now. They realize just believing the right things in your head doesn't change hearts and doesn't change the world. Rather, it is to fill the world with people who shine with the brilliance of Christ. This is the life power of the Rabbi-Talmidim relationship. Teaching not only from direct instruction, but promoting learning from observation, interaction, imitation, facilitated through close, intimate proximity. The truth of the matter is Jesus never taught anything he didn't live. He lived the life he called people to live. He prayed. His disciples saw him pray. Then they asked, teach us to pray. So when he taught them to pray, he didn't have to elaborate a great deal. He didn't need to because he lived it already before them. They didn't need a lot of explanation to learn to do what they had seen him do already. Jesus taught by example. And the most powerful words that he spoke and he began the relationship with disciples must have echoed throughout their whole relationship when he said, come follow me. You see, I see Jesus taking the first and most meaningful step of commitment to his disciples with one phrase. When he said, come follow me, he said, I will transform you into my likeness if you follow my, follow my lead. It's like Jesus is saying, you are worthy to be my Talmudian. Just drop your nets, walk away from your past and, and your current way of living and embrace mine. Because I have a belief that you can look like me and become like me. I believe Jesus still speaks these words to new hearts every day. He loves us and is always committed to us, no matter who we are and where we find ourselves. Think about the pockets in which Jesus went into, all the down and outs, all the people that were considered rebellious and vile and sinners. He asked them the same question. He asked them to follow his lead because he believed that they could look like him. A rabbi teaches, the rabbi teaches of the, of the word. We, as, as rabbi teaches of the word, that's you and I, we need to embrace Christ's heart and commitment to those we lead and teach. We need to see others as Christ sees them, more than good enough and able to be like him. We shouldn't look for reasons to disqualify people from following. Rather, we should be the first to stoop down like Jesus did and offer a helping hand and initiate commitment to them in the shared pursuit of Christ likeness. If we see and receive people like this, they will know they will long to follow the same rabbi we do, Jesus Christ. I think this is the aspect where the world is being challenged and particularly believers is do we look like Jesus or are we ruling people out based on the appearance of things or are we looking at their hearts? This is for me what a rabbi does. He looks at someone's hearts and he believes that they can look like him. Let's discuss a rabbi's love for his Talmudim, for his disciples. Let's discuss intimacy. Josh Hunt in his book, Teach Like Jesus, perfectly captures the importance of not only loving your Talmudim, but ensuring that they know and feel that you love them. This is something as a parent that I have become to realize is you, you love your children, but it's just as important that they experience and know that you love them. Let me quote from Josh Hunt, Teach Like Jesus. He says, Rarely do we learn from people unless we feel that they love us. 
If we feel they love us, we can handle their rebuke. We can accept their criticism. We can play along when they ask us to do something a little goofy and hands-on. We can accept the word they have for us. If we don't feel they love us, nothing else matters. We don't want to hear anything they have to say. There are two issues. The teacher must love the student and the student must perceive he or she is loved. Jesus was an effective teacher in part because people knew that he loved them. If you would teach like Jesus, you must begin loving like Jesus. As the old saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you just have to look at any encounter in the Gospels to understand people's lives are changed, not so much by the words coming out of Jesus' mouth, but the love that they felt in those words and in those, those challenges. And he often challenged people as well. Jesus showed us what this love looks like, a rabbi's love for his Talmudim. Just like a love for a parent and their child, it isn't filled always with the nice, warm, fuzzy, compassionate stuff. Sometimes it's a strong word of rebuke or correction. Sometimes it's encouraging them to step out the boat in faith. Sometimes it's fixing their mistakes and shortcomings, healing ears and casting out demons that they couldn't. Sometimes it's even forgiving their actions before they even committed them, washing their dirty sin and pride clean. Jesus washing his feet of his Talmudian before sharing the last meal has always stood out to me as a most powerful demonstration of his deep love for them. And I love John, John's account. And when he pens his account, he gives us, he, he underlines the gravitas of the demonstration. And I'm going to read for you from John 13, chapter 1, from the Passion Translation. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. John chapter 13, verse 1. I love the way John says it, and I love the way the Passion translates it for us. It says here, Jesus knew that the night before Passover would be his last night on earth before leaving this world to return to his father's side. All throughout his time with his disciples, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and tender love for them. And now he longed to show them the full measure of his love. John's above words, as one of Jesus' own very Talmudim, are revealing. Think about that. John's writing this down as someone who received that love not only on the night of washing his feet, but throughout the whole walk. So when he writes the words, all through his time with his disciples, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and tender love for them. You know, because this is someone who received it. You know it's truth. And Jesus' love for his Talmudim was always on display. It was always seen and importantly, it was always felt. And I love the way it says that, and now Jesus longed to show them the full measure of his love. Jesus, in his closing comments of his life, expresses the full extent of his love for his Talmudim. From washing their feet, even the, the traitorous feet of Judas, giving his life for them on the cross. Think about that for a moment. Love is felt the deepest when we are at our most vulnerable and raw. Jesus loved his disciples through the broken moments, restoring them with care and compassion and filling them with purpose and vision. You just have to think of Peter. This is what it means to be a master teacher, a rabbi, where we transform lives and hearts from damaged and vulnerable to restored and purposeful. We shouldn't shy away from intimacy with our Talmudim and those that the Lord has brought around us. We, we need to not only love them, but ensure that they know that they are loved. That is the real challenge, is that they know they have an experience of that love. So let's talk about the Talmudim, 
Let's talk about Jesus' disciples. Well, let me give you a definition of the Hebrew word Talmidim. It's a plural Hebrew noun meaning disciples. In its truest sense, those who leave family to study and follow the ways of their teacher rabbi. They study not only to learn what their teacher knows, like the West does, but to become the type of man their teacher is. It's from the Hebrew root word, which is lamut, which means instructed. Think about that for a moment. A true Talmidim doesn't study a rabbi and study with a rabbi and lives life with a rabbi to know what he knows. Rather, they want to become the type of man and the teacher he is. Can now can you understand the gospel's imagery of when we, we are transformed into the image of Christ, when we are into the likeness of Christ, what that means. It's a real thing for them because that's what their life purpose was all about. And that's what a Talmudim's purpose is. The Bible depicts an intimate way Talmudim are to learn, grow, and mature. Jesus didn't just want to, his disciples to learn what he knows, but he wanted them to learn who he is. Jesus was not only interested in shaping their minds, but he wanted to shape their hearts as well. This could only be done in and through intimate relationship with him. To walk with him, to learn from him, to become like him. This defines the trifold Talmudim's purpose. It's threefold. It's to walk with, to learn from, and to become like. Let's talk about walking with. Walking with speaks of sharing life together in close proximity. Close proximity when we're in close proximity with someone, we're invited into private conversations, not just public. We can also observe the true character of somebody through interactions with the world and the people around them. Think about how Jesus challenged his disciples thinking when he, did, when he, when he spoke to a Samaritan woman, when he ate with a tax collector, when he allowed expensive perfume to be used to wash his feet. These are moments when the disciples lived life and it, it unsettled them and it challenged them in a good way. And of course, remember the moment when Jesus lowered himself, became a man of no reputation, and he washed his own disciples' feet when they were jockeying for position. That's what it means to walk with. To learn from is when you walk with somebody, you learn not only from what they say, but more importantly, you learn from what they do, from their behavior, from their actions and reactions to everyday life. If you're a parent like me, then you already know how true that statement is. You know what I'm talking about. Kids learn from observation compared to instruction. We can lecture them as much as we like, but their behavior will resemble our own or what we allow them, or what we allow. Especially at a young age, like my kids, is they become a mirror where we can see our own behavior reflected back at us. And sometimes we don't like what we see. But what I've come to know is learning isn't so much about acquiring knowledge Rather, it's, a, it's about gaining essential wisdom for living and absorbing it from those around you. So we, we, when we walk with someone, we learn from them naturally and organically in the small moments, in the interactions like I've spoken. And in what aim, in what pursuit, in the pursuit of the last primary ultimate goal of a Talmudim is to become like Jesus. This is the pinnacle point of, of a Talmudim. For Jesus... For Jesus' disciples to become like him speaks, speaks of allowing his nature and character to flow through them. And folks, this too is our ultimate goal as followers of Christ. We are his Talmudim too. 
and long to look more and more like him as we grow steadily in the word and with our relationship with him. Let's talk about the continual choice to serve as Talmidim, the commitment from a Talmidim side. Walking with a rabbi is never easy or straightforward. Heck, walking with Jesus like the disciples did physically was extremely challenging. This is where commitment comes in and is one of the most vital traits a Talmud needs to develop and maintain. And note, Jesus never diluted or eased the requirements. In fact, he pointed to the cost numerous times to the other wannabe followers, discerning the indecisive hearts. You only need to think of the, the would-be 13th apostle. We all know him as a rich young ruler. He pointed at the cost. He pointed at what, what needed to take place in order to follow him, the abandonment of one's own life before that. The thing about commitment is that it begins with a decisive decision, but surely it doesn't end there. Choosing to commit to someone in marriage, for example, is one thing. Staying committed to them through thick or thin, like we vow on our wedding days, is another altogether. And sadly, the modern day divorce rate is a test to this. Just like in marriage, long-term ongoing commitment looks a lot like servanthood. Just like love, commitment looks like something. There is a tangible external representation of an inward devotion. Why does Jesus talk about husbands loving your wives as Christ loves the church and also talks about women serving the husbands? Because that is what love looks like. It's a, it's a death to self and serving each other up and lifting each other up before the Lord. You see, what I've realized is talk is cheap. Action isn't. It's going to cost something. Following a rabbi meant that you were always in the position to serve. Your constant close proximity to a rabbi meant you were always available to opportunities to serve him and his requirements. Just read John 12 verse 26 from the message. It says, if any of you wants to serve me, this is Jesus talking, then follow me. Then you will be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. Servanthood was a big part of a Talmudim's life and the service to their rabbi. Similar, in Jesus' day, the disciples served their masters in many ways. And I'm just going to give you a few. The Gospels make it clear that Jesus' disciples also served him. They went into town to buy food. They arranged for the Passover celebration according to his directions. And disciples were expected to take turns in preparing common meals and serving the needs of the group. And it was said, all acts of a slave performs for his master, a disciple performs for his rabbi, except the untying of the sandal. To untie someone's sandal was considered demeaning and the task of a slave. I don't know if the, the disciples' sandals were untied before Jesus washed them, but I got a feeling they weren't. And I believe Jesus untied their sandals, something they themselves wouldn't have done. Thinking on this, my memory always jumps back to my youth theater of Wax On, Wax Off. Wax On, Wax Off of the Karate Kid, where Mr. Miyagi uses seemingly menial chores of waxing his car to teach Daniel some of the art of deflecting incoming attacks. Now, does this mean that every chore has a deep meaning and lesson attached to it? No, of course not. But it does display one's heart attitude towards their rabbi. The beauty of the relationship between Jesus and his Talmudim and his relationship with us today is Jesus first models what the type of commitment of servanthood looks like. That's why I started with the rabbi. It's so important 
as, as parents and as leaders where we are that we first demonstrate what servanthood looks like before, before not even expecting, but before welcoming and inviting that same service in response. Let's, let's return to the powerful demonstration where Jesus is the master and washing the apprentice's feet. And, and let me read you a quote here. How distraught Jesus must have been to find that after three years of instructing his 12 disciples, they missed the point entirely. Instead of acting like humble servants, they were jockeying for position, arguing who was the greatest. What would it take to get the message through to their thick heads and even their thicker hearts? Jesus then knelt down and did the unthinkable. Wrapping a towel around his waist, exactly as a slave would, would have done, he began to wash their feet. See, Jesus demonstrated what true servanthood looked like, not only in his death that we always focus on on the cross, but in life. And I want you to understand the relational context. He's always teaching them and he's teaching them in love. This is what it means to love another, to lay one's life down. Now, let's talk about intimacy, the immersed life of a Talmudim for their rabbi. This deep level of commitment and servanthood that I was talking about is intrinsically linked with the intimacy a disciple shares with his rabbi. It isn't an employer-employee relationship. Let me provide a picture of the deep level of intimacy which is facilitated by intimate proximity the disciples had for their rabbi. Now, that proximity word is, is important. I don't know if all you got stuck with your family in lockdown, but when you're close together with someone, that's when true love shines, right? That's when we rub against each other. I'm sure Peter and John had many a moments where they were just grating each other. And that's where we learn to love one another in these moments. The disciples followed their rabbi so closely, it was said that they became covered in the dust of their feet. It also signified the depth of the pursuit to emulate every part of his life and teaching. The teaching may be understood to convey the idea that the disciples should always remain within the ambit of their master's dust or influence. In other words, they followed so closely that they were covered in the dust of their rabbi's sandals or feet. Dustiness for the disciples then does not indicate that they need to wash their feet or that they need a good, a good bath or shower. A covering of dust meant complete immersion in the life of the rabbi. This immersion meant table fellowship, teaching, and simply celebrating every aspect of life together in community. I love this metaphor covered in the dust of your rabbi's feet. I love this portrayal of closeness and intimacy. This complete immersion in the life of the rabbi. We know this when the word the disciples turned to Jesus and said, do you also want to leave? And they said, where are we to go? We know nothing else and we depend on nothing else. Their life was now immersed in Jesus's. In my personal opinion, I believe this, this type of relationship is what the modern world lacks the most. Deep, meaningful connections to those who can mentor us through immersion, showing us how to lead the kingdom life. You see, many, many of our Western relationships, sadly, are, are seemingly devalued. We follow people on social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter, where that word follow means to keep a keen eye on someone to see if they post something that may interest us or not. To follow another is so much more, and we know this in the biblical context, the narrative. When we follow someone, you tie your life to theirs. You, they carry your hope, 
your heart and your thereafter. That's what it means to follow another in, biblical, in the biblical narrative. No wonder the Talmudim grew close to their rabbi, even seeing them as a father. During the time of Jesus, one rabbi was considered to be as dear as one's own father. And it was a tradition, a traditional for disciples to show the same reverence for their rabbi as their father, or even more. There was a saying in the days is that your father brought you into this world, but your rabbi brings you into the life of the world to come. How meaningful is that in Jesus' context? Our father in heaven brought us into existence, but our rabbi Jesus brings us into the existence of the kingdom. This is how the Talmudim saw their rabbi. They saw Jesus as a father brought into this world and brought Jesus into the kingdom life. This statement rings true in my own life. I am blessed and I am privileged to have my own dad as both my natural father and my rabbi. I am the, literally the product of his faith. The older I get, the longer I spend with my dad, the more I have in common with him, the more I appreciate his presence in my life. I can only hope and trust that I can become the father he has been to me and to my and I can be that to my own children. I really it doesn't escape me how blessed I am is to walk with to learn from my dad and I can only pray in time that my heart will resemble his his passionate pursuit for the Lord and love for his family. So today I hope you were blessed with my sharing and my perspective on on this Rabbi Talmudim model and what it means to live this kingdom life and how Jesus demonstrated how the relational context, I know we, we spoke about fathers and sons and I'm just giving you a different take on it, but how relational context of a, of a rabbi and his Talmudim can change the world because folks, it did. What he did with those group of men and women, and I think the women don't get much much focus from a writing perspective, but they were so they were invited so much into the feet of Jesus, a position that people we forget how privileged and how different Jesus treated those people. So and it changed the world and we're sitting here two thousand years later because Jesus sat with a few and he taught them what it meant to live a kingdom life. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at Alpha Omega INT dot org dot z a